awesome opportunity uh, to preach to God's people and to preach his word. How many really want to hear from God today? That's the majority, I would say. I think the, the eyes have it, okay? Uh, I've, as we've been worshiping this morning, I, there's so much in my heart, and uh, I can't say it's all ordained of the Holy Spirit, but I'm going to ask you to pause with me right now and let's pray. And I was looking up real quick. Remember Samuel, the little guy in the temple? And when God called his name out, he went to the high priest and says, you, you called me because I heard my name. And that happened three times. And Samuel, or the Eli, the, the priest, said to Samuel, the next time you hear that voice, I want you to say, speak, Lord, your servant hears. And that's what I want our prayer to be today. Will you say that prayer with me? Let's bow our heads and just let's lift our hands to the Lord. And just say, Lord, speak, for I need to hear from you. Father, we consecrate this time to you right now. You know what we need. You have something you want to say today. And we ask, Lord, that you would just open up our ears, open up our hearts. Lord, if I'm the instrument, I yield myself to your spirit today. In Jesus' name, amen. There's a proverb in chapter 22 of Proverbs that says, the sluggard says, there's a lion in the streets, and if I go out there, I may be killed. And so he chooses to stay in bed because it's safer. You know, there's much of that thinking today going on because we're living in a time, in an age, where things are risky. There's a lot of things that are going on today that I don't understand. And I'm not sure how I would, if I was faced with circumstances, how I would deal with it. I said to my wife this last week, I said, I don't know if I can live much longer in this society. <laughs> just, that's really encouraging, Doug. <laughs> you know, that's why you have wives, because they just really kind of get in your face and kind of straighten out your thinking sometimes. And uh, so I, I was kind of being like this sluggard, you know. And the reason I bring it up is sometimes that can become the mentality of us as Christians. And even as a church. There's things going on that we don't understand, we can't comprehend, so we'll just kind of stay in our little cluster and, our clo- and we cloister together and we encourage one another and we sing together and we come to church and do these things. But we have, we're afraid to go into the streets. There's a lion out there. He may devour me. Well, I don't think that's the attitude that God intended for his New Testament church. And as we've been going through the book of Acts, We've been encountering uh, the events of the new church, the early church, as it was born, and how the Holy Spirit moved upon these people. And they were no different than you and I. And gave them courage to face the circumstances of their generation, of their day, with this revolutionary message of Jesus Christ. And God wants us to have that same courage today, that same boldness as the first generation church had. And so this morning, 
I'm trying. I'm going to try to lead us through the, this this chapter 13 in Acts, but there's a lot of other ground I want to cover in addition to that. And let me just introduce my opening statement here. Uh, the church in America is facing an unprecedented challenge that has it has never faced in. In the 240 years, think about it, since our Declaration of Independence, there's always been a free church in America. Really able to speak out loudly and clearly, and, and that's still to the case today, if you're willing to uh, be criticized for it. There's a great need today to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit speak to the church. We need direction from the the Lord, as how we carry out the great commission in our generation when we are increasing more hostile attitudes in our culture concerning evangelistic efforts. The more we go out and try to evangelize, the more we are criticized for our fundamentalism, for the fact that we are out there to change people. Why can't you just leave them alone and let them be the same? You know, we have, so we've created these political lobbies and so forth that, to help uh, defend the church and Congress and so forth. But we need more than a political lobby. We need God's methods. We need to know what God wants us to do today. How do we carry out this message of the gospel in this time, in this age? I believe there are many similarities in the book of Acts to us today, if you think about the church in Acts, and this is just after, you know, in the first century, just prior to the first century, the Roman Empire was in control. They were a polytheistic culture. And they, they did, they really, they hated Christians. And you hear about the, how they persecuted the Christians, they, they put them into the, uh, to Colosseums, and they released lions to devour them. Uh, they were beheaded and so forth. There was a great persecution of that church. Well, we haven't come to that extent, although I read, I heard today about this uh, young boy, you, maybe you heard about it in the news, 12 to 14 years of age, that went into a wedding in Turkey with a suicide vest on him, and blew up the wedding reception and took many people's lives with him. And I was thinking about that. In fact, I was talking to my grandson today. Can you imagine what it would be like to be a 12 to 14-year-old boy and being convinced and brainwashed to the point that you're willing to strap a suicide vest upon you and go into a group of people and just push the button and blow them all up? It's hard for us to fathom that. But that's the world in which we're living today. And those people need the Lord. That's the challenge of our generation. And we live in somewhat of a comfort place. But you know it's come to our shores. And we hear it in the news. We read about it. But what, would it, what if it comes to Woodland? What if it comes to your house, your neighborhood? Are we going to say to ourselves, let's just stay in bed because there's a lion in the streets and I may be devoured? Are we going to have the boldness and the courage of the Holy Spirit to stand up and be the people that God wants us to be? And that's what I see 
it all about in this book of Acts. Now, I'll get to the scripture in a moment, but this church that we're going to look at today in Acts chapter 13 is the church at Antioch. And it's my favorite church of all the churches that are mentioned in the scriptures. Because that's where there was, they, they begin to expand outside of the Jewish circles and they begin to go into the Gentile world, into the world of the Romans. And again, remember, they were disliked because they believed in one God. And they believed in the resurrected Christ. And the Romans believed in many gods. And they worshipped Caesar as their king. You know, and, and anything against that would come between that, they hated. They thought it was not patriotic in their time. And so we see that this church in Antioch, which we're going to look at this morning, was born out of persecution. James, one of the leaders of the church of that day, he was murdered. Stephen, one of their major leaders before him, was stoned to death. And out of this persecution, the church had to flee. They, had, they, had, they were scattered. And as they scattered, they took the gospel of Jesus Christ with them, and new churches began to spring up. And that's why the church at Antioch was born, was out of this great persecution. In fact, that's why the pilgrims came to America. Because they wanted religious freedom. And so they came to the shores here hoping that they would be able to establish a society and a church that would have the freedom of worship that we so greatly love and appreciate today. So, this morning we're going to look at Acts. And if you, will, if you want some background on this, and I won't take the time this morning, but if you want to know how this church in Antioch was formed... I want you to go and read Acts chapter 11, verses 19 through 30. And I was going to have us look at that this morning, but for sake of time, uh, I'll skip ahead, Caleb, So just because he's all primed and ready for me. Uh, and, but there's one verse there, and verse maybe flash one up there, there uh, Caleb, verse, uh, chapter 11 and verse 26. So it goes on to say in, Barnabas went to Tarsus to find Saul. Saul was this recent convert. He was a Jewish uh, leader. Uh, he was a real zealot. and He went around persecuting Christians, throwing them in prison and so forth. But he was saved on the road to Damascus. God appeared to him in a great light, and he, was, and he heard the voice of God, and he was born again. He goes on to Damascus, and he meets with the church there, and they, be, they befriend him. And he becomes part of the church. But here in in Acts chapter 26, it says, And when he had found him, when when Barnabas found Saul, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. That's where the, the word Christian first became used. I want you to notice the context of it, though. They didn't call themselves Christians. People looked at their lives and saw Jesus in them, and the other people, the, those, the onlookers, called them Christians. 
And my contention is today is that we need to think of ourselves as disciples. Because they were disciples. They followed the teachings of Jesus Christ. They wanted to be like Jesus. And as they followed his teaching, as they lived their lives and had a character like Jesus Christ, people would look like them and say, ah, they're Christ-like. They're Christians. And so today, you know, I'm, I'm more inclined to say that we should be calling ourselves believers or disciples or followers, or you might even say apprentices of Jesus Christ, rather than calling ourselves Christians. If we live like Christ, let other people call us Christians. Because they will see that in us. Rather than praising ourselves, let others see it and praise us for it, if you call that praise. And so that was the character of this church in Antioch. They were so Christ-like that they laid the label on them of being called a Christian. Wouldn't it be great that everybody would know in, in Woodland that we are Christians, not because we attend New Testament church only, but because we have the character and the lifestyle of Jesus Christ. And that we are truly followers and disciples of him. Okay, that's preaching. <laughs> now let me, let me get to the scripture. It's, uh, let's look at Acts chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers. I want you to just think about that for a moment. Uh, do we have teachers in our church? Do we have prophets in our church? We do. And God speaks through the prophets and through the teachers. And I want you to notice that they're singled out here. They're mentioned that in the church at Antioch, there are prophets and teachers, special gifts. And it talks about gifts that were given to men for the equipping of the church. So it's important that we have prophets and teachers in the church. But, you know, they are part of the church. They are not the church, but they are part of the church. It says, now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, and it mentions them Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger, uh, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And it doesn't distinguish who were the prophets and who were the teachers. It just says there were prophets and teachers, and the, but it set apart these five men who were actually somewhat distinguished in this, in this, with this gifting of prophets and teaching. And so it says that, goes on to say, in verse, uh, it goes on to say, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said. Now, we had a worship service this morning. And so as they were worshiping, and what were they doing beside worshiping? Fasting. And that's something that's kind of rare for us today, is fasting. But when they were worshiping and fasting. And fasting in that context and in that generation, it wasn't something that a few people chose to do, but usually the church was called to a fast. Everybody was set aside a time where they would fast. You know, and many, and when I grew up as a kid, we, we had communion. Uh, we didn't have it as often as we do now. I mean, we had it about once a quarter. I remember when I was a kid. But my parents would say, Doug, Eat a, lot of, eat a lot tonight on Saturday night because you're not going to eat again until after church on Sunday morning. Because we would fast 
until we had communion. And then when the communion was served, that was the breaking of our fast, and then we were free to go out and pig out. You know, so. But I was thinking about that. I thought, you know, wouldn't that be something that would be for us to think about? Because we, we know when we're going to have a communion Sunday. It's always the first Sunday of the month. If we eat that meal on a Saturday night and we fast. Because why? Not just because we want to be super spiritual, but we want to hear from the Lord. We need his direction. We need his word speaking to us. And out of this atmosphere of worship and fasting, what happened? The Holy Spirit spoke. How did he speak? Most likely through one of those prophets or those teachers. But I don't guess that it was Barnabas or Saul. Because say, let's look at it. The Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Wow, that was quite an occasion. That was an exciting church service. God spoke. He said, I want these two guys to do what I have called them to do and to the work that I've assigned to them. And I want you to just think about what we can observe from these few verses. First of all, the church is gathered together. There's prophets and teachers there. They're worshiping. They're fasting. And why do you think they're worshiping and fasting? I think they were anticipating and expecting to hear from God. Just like we're here today, they wanted to hear from God, and we want to hear from God today. We need to hear his voice. We need to find out what his direction is for us as a church and as individuals and disciples in this church. The church had at Antioch had prophets and teachers present. These five men were part of the life of the church. They were not, you know, uh, they were not visitors. They were living with the church, and they were actively involved in the church community at that time. And here we see the church was actively worshiping and fasting when the Holy Spirit spoke to them. How many would want to have the Holy Spirit? Speak to us. How do you think he'll do that? Well, he could do it audibly. He could do that like when Jesus came down and was water baptized and they heard a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. But I think the way that probably happened here and why they were separated and they distinguished the prophets and the teachers was probably the Holy Spirit spoke through one of those men. And that's how the Holy Spirit could speak to us today. As we're worshiping, as we're fasting, as we're waiting upon the, God, the Lord, the God can move upon us to speak to the church and give us a word of encouragement, a word of direction, perhaps. And I want you to notice here, too, what was the message of the Holy Spirit? It was very specific. It was not left up for... Any questions there? He said, I want you to take these two guys, and he named them, Saul, Barnabas and Saul, and I want you to set them apart for the work that I have called them to do. 
It's not the church's work, although it is indirectly. It's the Holy Spirit's work. And these are the ones that I want you to put aside to do that work. See, it's very, it, the clarity is all there. Now what is the responsibility of the church is to really hear what the Holy Spirit said and to do exactly as he said. To set these two men apart. Not to think about, well, who, I don't think they're qualified enough. No, this is who Paul, who the Holy Spirit said, set them apart. Because I have a work for them to do. And it's not just any work, but the work the Holy Spirit has to do. So we can have lots of plans and programs, but what is the work, what is the program that the Holy Spirit would want us to do? I see Barnabas and Saul as the Holy Spirit's agents. They were his agents. And they were to carry out the work of the Holy Spirit. They were the Holy Spirit's agents doing the Holy Spirit's work. And I believe that's what we need today. We need people, and remember again, if we go back, I, I, we could take the whole day and go back through the first 13 chapters of Acts and see how many times the Holy Spirit spoke to the church, directed them, and told them, this is how I want you to do it. Remember when they were having problems with feeding the people? The Holy Spirit showed them how to take and set seven minutes, seven, six, I don't remember. Somebody, <laughs> deacons anyway. Filled with the Holy Spirit and wisdom that they might take care of this task in the church. Over and over and over again, Philip went up to Samaria and had a great revival. And then after the revival, the Holy Spirit says to Philip, I want you to go down to Gaza. And I want you to go up to that guy that's in the chariot and I want you to talk to him. And then the Holy Spirit told, carried him away to another place. And then he went from village to village pray, preaching the gospel. Every step that they took was led by the Holy Spirit. Peter's in the, uh, on the roof praying one day. And he sees a sheet come down from heaven filled with all these unclean animals. And he's, he's a real religious guy. He doesn't eat anything that's, not, that's unclean. And the Lord says to him, take and eat. He says, not me, Lord. He says, yes, you will, Peter, if you want to be my follower. And so, see, that was a, that was a vision that was given to him by the Holy Spirit. And then he, then he meets Cornelius. And he preaches the gospel to Cornelius. And Cornelius and his whole household becomes say, are saved, are, are filled with the Holy Spirit. See, the Holy Spirit is the theme. And that's why as our pastor says... That it's, we can call it the Acts of the Apostles, but it's really all about the Acts of the Holy Spirit. And as we look at the church at Antioch, we see what the Holy Spirit is doing in their midst. And that's what I desire for our church. We can conclude that the Antioch church was a worshiping church. It was a praying church. It was a fasting church. A, a community of people 
who desired to hear from the Holy Spirit and desired to act upon what the Spirit said. I'll go back. I had some quotes here. Um, there's a book that I read as preparing for this message by Robert Menzies. And the name of the book is called Empowered for Witness, The Spirit in Luke and Acts. And he makes this quote. It says, Indeed, as we re-examine the foundations upon which our theology is built... We are reminded that the church, by virtue of its reception of the Pentecostal gift, or you know, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, is a prophetic community empowered for a missionary task. Remember what Jesus said to the disciples, Tarry ye in Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. And when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Well, they have already been to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, but they hadn't moved beyond that. And when the church of Antioch was established, they knew their goal and their ministry was the rest of the earth. And to do that, they needed the Holy Spirit. And folks, we have the same commission given to us. And to do that, we need the Holy Spirit to be witnesses of these things. In fact, one of my other quotes here, listen to this. This is in Albert Schweizer. He says, A church which does not engage in mission is not a church filled by the Spirit, and hence not a church living in the new era. Another quote by Graham Troffrey says, Luke makes the point that the Spirit's empowerment is for mission, not political ends. He also shows that the ideal Christian community arises out of the common experience of the Spirit. Thus, for Luke, while the resurrection may be the key event in the life of Jesus, the coming and experience of the Spirit is fundamental for the new people of God. Jesus said, don't do a thing until you are endued with power and high. Because it's the Spirit that's going to give us the power, but he's also going to give us the direction and the guidance that we need to fulfill the mission of the church. And if the church loses sight of its mission, and if it loses the power of the Holy Spirit, then we really don't even exist as a church. We have lost our purpose for existence. The church is born with a vision, a mission, and and the empowerment to fulfill that mission through the Holy Spirit. So this is not optional. This is imperative that we understand the dynamic of the Holy Spirit and how it works in the local church. When we examine the, the, the persistence of the disciples, remember, again, we, I think this is preached, maybe Elaine was the one that 
don't remember who preached. Chapter 8, when they, when they, the right revival in Samaria, who preached that one? I don't remember. Maybe that was Pastor Scott. When Philip went to Samaria, they had a great revival. And people were healed and, and saved, and miraculous things were happening. But the church down in Jerusalem, here's Samaria up here, here's the church in Jerusalem, that's kind of the church headquarters at that time. Headquarters said, <laughs> we need to send Peter up to Samaria because we, may, we need to check out what's going on, first of all, to see if it's legit. But also to make sure that they have heard about the Holy Spirit. And so Peter goes up to Samaria and he checks it out. He said, yeah, this is all good. This is of God. But then he preaches to them about the Holy Spirit and the baptism of the Holy Spirit so they can continue the work. And then, the, then that magician guy comes up and, and he wants to give them money to, to be able to have the same power as Peter has and baptize people in the Holy Spirit and things like that. And he, that goes sideways. But then, you know, from every step along the way where there were breakthroughs in the church and when the church really encountered society of its day, it was through the power and through the message of the Holy Spirit. And that's why I'm saying, as I look at our day, do we really want to make a difference? Are we willing to, make, to do and create the atmosphere, if you will, of the, of the, the ambiance, I would call that, of the Holy Spirit that, so he can speak to us. So I go to church on Sunday morning to worship, but I also come to church on Sunday morning because I want to hear from God. And hopefully we've been in the Word through the week and we can hear an inspirational, Spirit-filled message from God on Sunday morning that will guide us through that week and motivate us to be in the Word some more and to worship God every day. How many believe that the Holy Spirit can speak to you? How many believe that, you know, in your everyday decision-making as a family, as a couple, as an individual, that as we're standing before the Lord and we're seeking Him, that the Holy Spirit can speak to me and give me revelation and guidance for my day? I like what Josh said this morning about you know, starting out our week with the attitude. I'm starting the week out with worship so I will hear from the Lord and be able to live through my day. But I would add to that, why not every day? Oh. I was going to take it, you know, there's so much in this chapter 13. Can, let's just go through it real quick and see how far we can get. I've got 10 minutes left. Acts 13, verse 6. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish prophet named Bar-Jesus. Oh, I'm sorry. I skipped some verses. Let's go back to verses uh, 4 and 5. Luke, uh, Acts 13, 4 and 5. So being sent out by who? The Holy Spirit. They went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. And when they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogue of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. 
Now, I believe when it says they proclaim the word of God, they proclaim the word of God under the anointing and the unction of the Holy Spirit. They were sent by the Holy Spirit to do the Holy Spirit's word work, and the work was proclaiming the word of the Lord. And then, uh, then you go on in verse 6. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, a politician, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of the Lord. But Elamus, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them. See, they faced opposition right out of the gate. He opposed him, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Is that happening today? But Saul, who was called Paul, filled with the, what? Holy Spirit. Filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, you son of the devil, you enemy of all unrighteousness. (laughs) Boy, I mean, he was really, (laughs) he better be in the spirit, because I did You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and he will blind, and you will be blind and able to see the sun for a time. How did he know that? How could he say that to Elamus? You're going to be blind for a season. Holy Spirit spoke to him. And he was bold enough. I mean, if that was me, I think, well, let's wait on this a little bit. (laughs) Can I pray and fast about it first, you know? That was a word of what we would call in the Bible a word of prophecy or a word of knowledge. That came directly from the Holy Spirit because it happened just the way he said it was going to happen. And now, it goes on, immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed, and he saw that what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Well, I guess I would be astonished too. I can remember the first time I encountered it. I'll never forget it. It's a memory riveted in my mind of the first time I saw or heard a word of knowledge given in a church and it was so right on it blew me away. I mean, he's God. There's not any secrets to him. Even the names, the, the, the adjectives that that was used there in, in uh, Paul for the magician, you vile person. You know, how did he know that? Because the Holy Spirit was giving him revelation, giving him discernment. All those things that we read about, and we we have the knowledge. We've studied these things. We've actually taken tests to figure out what our spiritual gifts are. And maybe we have four or five. I don't know. It's a lot different having the knowledge and walking out that knowledge. 
Jesus said, it's not enough to know my words, but you must obey them as well. So, and then Acts chapter 13, verse 15, he goes into one of the synagogues and they, and they ask him, well, Paul or Barnabas, you have something to say? Well, you never say that to a preacher, you know. <laughs> and so Paul gets up and preaches this message to the church. And look, it says in verse uh, 44 of that chapter, the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. Paul was so anointed by the Holy Spirit and by the scriptures that he shared, that people were so ecstatic and excited about what they were hearing, they believed and they came out, the entire city came out the next week to hear Paul's teaching. Now tell me, if that is not the work of the Holy Spirit. And the word of God, verse 49, it says, And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But then again, the Jews incited the devout women of high standing, and the leading men of the city stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and drove them out of the district, not by car, didn't drive them out by car or limousine. But they probably threatened to stone them, kill them. And so what did they do? They shook, shook the dust off their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and what? With the Holy Spirit. I hope you're getting the drift. So let me see if I can conclude this. The Holy Spirit dwells in the life and the mission of the New Testament church. I believe we are a spirit-filled church. God, the Spirit, dwells with us. He's in the life and he's in the mission. And, you know, we have a mission statement. It's a good mission statement, I believe. It really kind of says it, what, what, we're, why we're here. To help people discover the reality of God's love, to develop their, uh, to develop a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and his church, and then to demonstrate to the world. Now, the thing is, it's a three-step thing. Once we discover God loves me unconditionally, he'll love me forever and ever and ever, days without end, that's step one. And that's a good thing. And maybe that's where you are today. You need to know that in spite of ourselves, in spite of what's happened in your life, God loves you just the way you are right now. You don't have to go get cleaned up and then come back. You can come to him right now. That's discovering God's love. And that love for you will never change. You cannot undo the love of God. Nothing, Paul says, can separate me from the love of Christ. Not hell or high water. Nothing 
can separate me from Christ. (coughs) Second step. Remember when it says that Paul and Barnabas, Paul went, Barnabas went and got Paul, and they went back to Antioch. It says, for one year they met together there with the church. One year! Can I ask, or is it too much to ask of us to spend one year in the Word of God as a disciple, as a follower, as an obedient student of the Word of God? Just a year. Really? I mean, if if all of us had a one-year degree in Bible to understand what God is saying to us through His Word... One year. Can we, is that too much to ask? For one year, they did that. And God did miraculous things during that time. But if we have the discovery, and we have development in our lives, and we, for, and we forget about or don't care about demonstrating it, then what good is it to anybody except me? We have a mission. The mission is the earth. The mission is those 12 and 14 year old boys in in ISIS territory that are being taught to put on, you know, suicide vests and going and blowing people up. They need to know though, God loves you. And he doesn't want you to blow yourself up or other people up. And so the challenge may be today, where are you when you walk? Are you just hearing about this love of God for you? Embrace it. Accept his love. For God so loved you that he gave his only begotten son. And secondly, develop. Become a disciple. Become a follower of Jesus Christ. Get into his word. Allow the Holy Spirit to begin to teach you through his word. And thirdly, turn the world upside down with the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit in you. Amen?